Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. Welcome to Schooled with a Professor, and we're going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about the boycott. What's going on with the National Football League, the players' associations, how it's impacting teams, the league, you name it. And does a great job of following us, Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network, He's an NFL Network reporter. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pelissero. So, Tom, I mean, we've now seen the boycott go. It's going different in different places. How would you kind of judge how this boycott has gone for the Players Association? Well, John, I think it's difficult to judge until we see what happens here going into phase two and phase three, really. You know, you get to OTAs, the voluntary work. You know, what what are the percentages there? What are the final numbers that they come up with? I think that, you know, kind of the fascinating thing to follow in all this is the messaging has really evolved from the NFLPA. You go back to those uh, statements that they sent out from over half the teams in the league prior to the normal start of uh, phase one of the offseason. And, you know, the running theme was it's not safe with COVID. We can't be traveling around with COVID, you know, triple the number of positives nationwide that you had at this time a year ago. Um, You know, all those sorts of things. Well, COVID's really not been a part of the dialogue in the past two or three weeks. It made this move to being what it really was always about, which was trying to change the structure of the offseason. And by that really meaning reducing it, um, you know, they've continued to cite the statistics in terms of injury rates uh, from a year ago, major injury rates, lost time, things like that, uh, and quality of play, the close games, offense, all those types of things, which are a lot of that NFL data that the, uh, the union is kind of uh, thrown back in the league's face. And, of course, the league's tried to counter that in some of their memos to clubs. But, you know, really, this is what this was always the intention was to – try to make an impact not just in this offseason but future offseasons. It reminds me really, you know, you go back, John, you know, and you've covered the league yeah. longer than I have. My first year was 2003, uh, and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you didn't have 99 or 100% uh, participation in a lot of the offseason programs. You might have had, you know, more players in some places than others, but it was common, um, you know, to see 10, 15 veterans just missing from an OTA practice. That's just kind of – how it was. And the union now has, you know, been one year into an 11 year CBA seems to be, you know, finding an opening here to try to make this case. It's just, it's a delicate balance to walk because, you know, you're trying to relitigate something that you've already negotiated to be voluntary. You know, you don't have to go. (laughs) And, uh, you know, at the same time, of course, you've got close to 3,000 players on rosters right now. They all have different interests. Younger players have more vested, particularly undrafted guys, bottom-of-the-roster guys. Those guys have a lot more reason to show up uh, in April and May and early June uh, than some veterans might. And so the calls with, that the unions had with all their players, you know, there's, there's certainly been a back-and-forth there in terms of what's the right approach. And you've seen a lot of teams – particularly a rookie mini camps, nearly perfect attendance league-wide. Through the early portions of OTAs, there have been a higher percentage of the younger players showing up, but there are definitely fewer veterans than there have been uh, over the past decade here. Uh, and we'll see how those numbers now evolve again as teams get on the field uh, starting next week. Yeah, that's and the thing that I kind of little, because I think J.C. Treader's done a, <coughs> a very good job as the uh, running running the union, 
But the one thing that I question is one the statement about the injury stuff that he had. Because if you go back to last year, uh, particularly when they were starting negotiations, getting into negotiations on the CBA, he was talking about the idea. It's like, yeah, if you go back to 2011 when uh, there was no off-season program, I mean, you come back and you get more injuries. Now it's a matter. It's like, well, let's skip the off-season program because we're going to get injuries. And it's like that, to me, doesn't add up. Well, it's it's also trying to, again, extrapolate the data that the NFL pulled together. Because remember, the NFL, John, had to make – a public case as well as an internal case for why is this safe a year ago? You know, they extended uh, the ramp-up period after lengthy negotiations with the union to give guys more time to ease back in because they had not been on the field for the course of the offseason. Then the NFL released the data, you know, concussions down, major injuries are down. You know, you have to factor into that there was no preseason. And, of course, preseason is one of the you know most dangerous times historically uh, for guys to get injured. So, yeah, you wipe that away. I'm sure that that factors into, you know, some of the raw numbers. You know, there is – I do find some humor in the union using the league's own injury data to try to uh, make their case to the league about, you know, adjusting some things in the offseason. And remember, they, they have adjusted the offseason. You know, they started later. Uh, no no new coaches got mini camps for the second straight year, the extra mini camp that they normally would get. Uh, phase two is only one week. It's this week, and then you go right into phase three next week. So, you know, they have made some allowances, but the union's position all along has been it should be all virtual. It's the logic behind that, which was initially COVID, 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 that disappeared, and suddenly it became, well, this is how it should always be. Again, under the CBA that we're one year into and runs through 2030, uh, it is voluntary. You don't have to show up. But as Juwan James found out, and some others might, if you end up getting you know injured while you're working out, rather than showing up to your team's, um, you know your your team's facility, then you have no protection. They don't have to pay you. There's one or two of these things that happen every single year, particularly during the gap times prior to April as well as that, you know, June to July training camp gap that happens every year. You know, there's there's definitely an intellectual argument to be made that players should be covered, particularly at those uh, down times, because you want guys to be uh, keeping themselves in shape. But the letter of the log dating back decades is if you're not in the facility, you don't have protection. And here you have the union actively encouraging players don't come into the facility. They had to know there was a risk one or two players would get hurt. Juwan James happens to be uh, the test case that went bad, but you still have a lot of veterans that are staying away. Yeah, because I know like one of the things that uh, J.C. Treader said last year when he was talking about the injuries, he said, oh, yeah, Achilles injuries with there's no offseason program doubled. Uh, there was X number of hamstring injuries. I mean, he was pretty specific about it. But also, in my because I keep track of uh, ACLs and Achilles and injuries like that, uh, I mean, usually there's going to be one or two, maybe three uh, that are going to be away from the facility because, again, there's nothing there because there's no OTA starting. Uh, but, you know, they didn't get cut like this. I mean, uh, and I think, you know, certainly you can see in the case of Denver, I mean, here they're paying him over $12 million a year. He's only he took the opt out last year. He only had three games and 63 plays uh, in 2019. So here he is, you know, three years into his career, which is all now over. Uh, in Denver, and he's only had 63 plays. And says, there's no way we're going to keep paying him 10 million bucks. Well, he made I think 17 million yeah. for those 63 plays over the first couple of years. Which you know that's the other thing. Like there's 
you know, you don't have to treat everybody equally, but you try to treat everybody fairly. And the reality is for a guy like Juwan James, who, you know, if that were Vaughn Miller who got injured, they're not going to NFI him. You know, they're just not going to. It's going to be a different type of a deal. The fact that it was, you know, Juwan James, who's a guy who, frankly, they might have, if the draft had gone differently, they might be cutting him anyway. Um, you know, if he didn't have guaranteed money, because he did have $10 million uh, fully guaranteed, you know, maybe they would have been trying to move on from him anyway. Now they have the opening to not pay him. They paid him $17 million for two years in which he barely played. Uh, you know, I'm not saying there's, you know, there's a right or wrong answer to this, but, you know, definitely if it's, if it's a different player that gets hurt, uh, they're going to be treated differently. And you can bet if an undrafted rookie goes, stays away from the facility and tears their ACL, uh, they're not getting a dime for most of the organizations within the league, and that is, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the organization's right. Now, the, the union was very adamant about telling the rookies not to show up. Other than uh, Penny Sewell and a couple other guys with COVID-19, do you know of a single rookie that's not currently at the team facility? There were a couple of uh, guys who had, of course, uh, you know, Jake Ellinger's yeah. – uh, uh, brother had passed away, and so he was not there. And Sam Ellinger's brother was not there. Um, and then there was another player I know of in the league who had a false positive for COVID, missed rookie minicamp, but was fine in the end. Outside of that, no, I, I'm not aware. And I'd also tell you, John, and I'm sure you've heard this too, every agent I have talked to up and down are telling all of their guys, specifically the rookies, the fringe guys, the young guys, to show up. And that was one interesting thing that the union decided to do was the Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember which it was, after the draft, they had a call with all their rookies and uh, agents on on the same call with J.C. Treader and Demora Smith, and it erupted into a lengthy back and forth between NFLPA leadership and some of these, you know, long-time 30-plus-year agents saying, you know, you've got to be kidding. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely telling my guys to go in. And the union's response to that is, well, you know, J.C. Treader has said this repeatedly, you don't make the team in April and May. You make the team uh, in in training camp, which I think that there's a lot of truth to that, John, because we've all seen the guys who flash in shorts in the spring, then they put the pads on and they fade away. Uh, but you also can say, you know, if you're just trying to catch a coach's eye, catch the organization's eye, there's absolutely a reason that you would you would want to show up. And the fact that virtually every rookie has shown up, as well as a lot of those, you know, first year players, second year players, other guys like that. Um, you know, that just goes to show that you have the other stakeholders in this, the players uh, and their agents as well, you know, who are trying to safeguard their careers saying you, you absolutely, no matter what the union says, uh, you, you, you got to be showing up right now. Oh yeah. And of course, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's the thing. And it only makes sense because why tell the rookies, particularly the draft choices, undrafted guys, not to show up when you had, you know, guys who opted out last year. They haven't played since 2019. You have guys that are, uh, you know, have not, uh, you know, they only had short seasons. I mean, you know, some college teams only had four and five college games. And so there's so much lacking of knowledge of being able to come in and trying to be able to gain what you need to do in the NFL because they don't know what they don't know until they start to get here. Right. And we'll think about this, John. How many times have we heard coaches or somebody say, and how many players have been told through the years, hey, you know, we had to cut you because we got, we got three injuries uh, at cornerback. You know, you're a tight end. We got five healthy tight ends. We just, we, it's a numbers game, right? We, we just need an extra guy. Well, if you're a, a corner staying away from voluntary activities, yeah, the union can say, and they're correct, 
you can't discipline a player, release a player solely for not showing up. But if it comes down to we don't have enough guys to practice right now, yeah, they're going to bring somebody else in who's who's going to actually show up and allow them uh, to practice. It's just it's it's a weird deal, and there's there's never really been another situation like this. I, I certainly understand where uh, J.C. Treader and the union is coming from. They have an opening here based on how 2020 went and the NFL's public statement saying, look how great the game was, uh, even without an offseason, to say, okay, we need to, you know, we need to change this because the, you know, the attendance rates have been so high because teams have you know, implied to players for a long time, hey, you, you got to be, you know, we really need you here. We've got we to gotta get you to show up. Um, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a delicate balance. You're, you're seeing right now, too, just kind of how tenuous everything is. Even one year into an 11-year CBA, the union, and Demora Smith will be the first one to say this, they're always going to find a reason to fight. That's why they exist, is, you know, it's wages uh, and working conditions. You know, those are, those are the two biggest things. Well, working conditions has been a big question uh, throughout COVID. Now that you're seeing them begin to come out of, you know, the, the thrust, we hope, of the COVID phase. Now you're going, okay, what are the other fights here? Uh, and, and voluntary activities, I mean, OTAs, they certainly, you've been to enough of them, John, so have yeah. I. You know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, the intensity varies by team, but there are some places where you're watching it and you're like, this this looks like real 7-on-7, seven 11-on-11, seven, 11 11, other than no tackling. You know, that's kind of the stuff they want to push back on. The union's always had recourse in terms of, you know, pulling the tapes and trying to get people disciplined. Teams have lost draft picks. They've lost practices in the past for uh, two intensive practices. But, you know, this is something trying to take on all 32 teams. And, you know, the other thing that's happened is some of these head coaches have been put in a difficult position where it's their veteran players with the support of the union are saying, hey, we don't want to do this. We're going we're gonna to boycott. We're all going to not show up, and you're not going to get any OTAs if we don't change the way we practice. And so – you know, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay agrees to move up his rookie minicamp by one week, makes two other weeks uh, able to go virtual. The Dolphins change their work days um, in terms of shortening them on days where they have, uh, you know, walkthroughs. They don't have virtual meetings, and their practices for the first couple weeks are also at walkthrough pace. You know, these are all kind of relatively minor gives from teams, but for coaches who outside of last year are so regimented in how they do things, there's still choices they're happy to make, um, you know, at a time where the other thing that can't be overstated here is the union keeps saying this is about power. This is about the owners want to have power over you to make you come in whenever they want to, even though it's voluntary. Uh, we need to take back some of that power. And so yeah, it's, it's a power struggle at, at its very core. That's what this is about. Yeah. And of course, that's the one thing that is kind of fascinating about this, too, is, uh, you OK, I, I take it now we're at the stage where any of the boycotted guys, they don't get their workout bonuses. Would that be correct? Enough time has passed. Well, some of the some of the teams, though, too, have changed the rules on that. For okay. instance, the Packers. My understanding is, for instance, the Packers, who, of course, they have more workout bonuses, I think, than yeah. anybody in the league, them in Buffalo. And they made it so now you only have to show up for two weeks in person to get your workout bonuses, one-week OTAs and the uh, mandatory minicamp week. As long as you do that, uh, you're not forfeiting anything. But, yes, there are other teams who, if you have not shown up through Phase 2, I think the threshold for most teams is 85%. So mm-hmm. you're already yeah, putting that, putting that in jeopardy, as well as de-escalators that you know, teams like Dallas use de-escalators. There's some other teams. Uh, that Washington does that too in terms of if you don't show up for workouts, you lose $500,000 on your base salary. It's the same concept as a workout bonus. But, yeah, you'd be putting those in jeopardy, except that some teams 
have made certain allowances here. And the league also changed the rules, at least in phase one, that if you virtually participated in meetings, that counted toward your toward your clock. Yeah. Has any of the boycotted people uh, really participated in Zoom meetings at all? Uh, I believe some have. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I'd have to go through and you know figure out in terms of names. But yeah. yes, my understanding is there are some some players that have continued in, in part because of workout bonuses, um, but players who participated virtually because that's what they did last year too. You know, most teams still had high participation virtually uh, through you know the virtual OTAs or whatever. I don't remember what we called it last yeah. year, but there were a lot of teams that had that. And if that's the argument from the union, which is we can do these things virtually, you're undercutting your own argument if you're not you're not powering on your iPad. The weird the weird part about this is okay, so you have all these veterans that might be losing their workout bonuses, yet the rookies are in, and all they're doing is collecting money because more than half of the draft choices have already signed deals. And you know, uh, I, I went through every uh, draft choice signing so far, and you know because. They, they, you get a list of what the allocation is going to be for the rookie, right? For right. the first year. And every single one has matched that. Nobody's messed up the slot. Yeah, that's right. Every single and, deal. Um, you know, and I think that that's part of the reason teams have decided, you know, in most cases they're going to try to move a little more quickly. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, John, it's eight out of the 32 first-round picks yes. right now, which means you've got even a higher percentage of those second through seventh uh, round picks that have signed so far, uh, which is which is you know relatively common at this point. You know I can't remember what the numbers were exactly a year ago. Obviously there were some different uh, challenges because <laughs> nobody knew if they had any money coming in uh, in the fall. Um, but you know not not super surprising you see teams jump out try to get these deals done. I also would guarantee there will be two or three first round pick contracts that won't be done until very close, if not into the first week of training camp, just because of some of the people involved, some of the teams involved, some of the precedent arguments I've already heard that are going to be, you know, in play here. And you know, it's not like it was, of course, John, 10, you know, 10, 15 years ago. You know, now it's you're working within slot, but it's offset language and it's, um, you know, void language. If you, you know, things like if you get suspended for something on the field, the, your guarantees void, things like that. Those are the, they seem like small fights, but those are big fights, again, to the union as well as to, uh, agents to continue to get those wins, particularly when it comes to the first-round picks. So which teams do you think right now have been negatively impacted the most by the boycott? Um, I, don't, I don't know about, you know, yet. Again, I think we'll see next yeah, week next what week, becomes right. real. I mean, there are definitely some teams uh, that are <laughs> a little bit skittish about what, uh, you know, what exactly is going to take place uh, starting next week. Uh, again, you've got such a high percentage of the young players and the thinking and the back and forth has been, okay, what about the veterans? How many of these guys are going to, to come in? I think that we'll see that a little bit better. I do think that, once again, you got a detriment, not to the level it was last year, but a detriment to the, the first-year coaching staff to have the later start to the offseason and losing that, that mini camp prior to uh, the draft, to say nothing of the fact that all 32 teams had no real in-person time outside of with certain guys at the Senior Bowl with any of the guys that they drafted. I mean, these are unique challenges uh, for a second consecutive year. Um, you know, are teams going to have enough bodies to practice in, uh, you know, in OTAs? You know, we'll see. I, there are definitely going to be some teams that have, you know, large percentages. I would think that teams like Miami and Green Bay that have uh, bent their rules are going to have people come in. Uh, you're going to have other teams like Philadelphia and Indianapolis that have said, 
you know, after consultation, they're not going to do it. For Nick Sirianni, I mean, put yourself in his shoes, John, mm-hmm. for a second. First-year coach, you're trying to win over a team that already players have to be looking around and going, is this a rebuild? Are we trying to win? What, what exactly are we doing here? And then he's stuck in this position where his, his veteran players are saying, if you don't change the rules, we're not showing up. And so they made, um, to my knowledge, the strongest move so far outside of the Colts in terms of just saying, we're not really going to practice. We're not going to do seven. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.